Welcome back to Zazen and the Schmetterling. I'm Aaron and this is episode number four, the final of our three-part series with Ryan on Hindu mythology. And um, last episode, we had a look into Hanuman, the monkey god, and how we can understand directing the mind towards the heart. And what that really was about was about intention setting, how we can use our powers of manifestation if we direct them towards the correct intention. In this episode, we're going to have a look at two different things. We're first going to have a look at Kali, who is one of the greatest goddesses in the Hindu mythology, who teaches us the power of brutal compassion, what we can do when we really understand what kind of inner strength we have in order to become a master of our own destinies. And then we'll have a look at Ganesh, the elephant god, one of the most worshipped gods across India, and we'll find out about how he can teach us about remembering who we really are understanding our own potential, understanding our own perfected state, and the idea of the internal guru that we talk about so much. And so stick around and I'll see you on the other side. Have we got any crazy like, um, uh, like, like feminine goddess ideas and feminine goddess ideas. Story or stories of how the feminine split off from the masculine or how they relate to each other? So, so one, I don't know it super duper well. Um, I, I only know really like the pivotal episode. Um, I'm not familiar with the, the larger story. Mm. Um, so feel free gentlemen to, to hop in. Um, this is really, I think, probably the most powerful of, 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 of this, of, if you're asking about the feminine, um, is, is Kali. Mm. Uh, Kali is the most fearsome aspect of Parvati. Um, Parvati is the the wife of Shiva, but she's also Parvati is also Shakti, which is which is power, which is the fundamental nature nature of reality. Parvati is Shakti, is Maya, is um, is all of the goddesses. Parvati really is like the the ultimate goddess. Goddess. All the other goddesses are essentially iterations of her. Yeah. It's interesting, um, it's interesting that in yogic tradition, actually, the main journey, the main journey is, is returning your Shakti to your Shiva. Right. The main journey is, uh, that's the way we understand the Chakra is everything that the root Chakra has, is where, is where um, Shakti resides, and the crown Chakra is where, is where Shiva resides, and it's all about integrating, basically, our masculine and feminine, these, or you can call it the yin-yang, or any kind of force. Right. This whole idea of integrating them together and returning them to each other so they can actualize each other. Like we spoke about before, that these two parts of each other need each other in order to right. actualize the, the masculine, the feminine, the yin and the yang. Totally, totally. So that's a, that's a yeah. So this particular story, I'm, I, I really I wish I did know it a little bit better, but, um, but I have, some, I have some, some people here that might, that might be able to hop in and help me. So Kali is an um, incarnation of of Parvati, not exactly, not an avatar, just a, like a different, like, form, a different aspect. Um, Kali is a goddess that you'll often see um, on posters. She's, she's dark-skinned, she's got a long tongue, a necklace of heads, and she's, she's lapping the blood up from the heads, and she has swords and weapons. And then really, she really looks like a demon. She really does. She so, really so does. But she's a positive force. She's a positive force because she's, she's killing, she's taking all that is not free 
That's what her that's what her job is. She takes from you all that is not free. She's slaying the inner demons. That's what the kind of esoteric principle of what Kali is. But you always see this, and I, I'd be interested to hear a, a variety of opinions on what the meaning of this is. But you see Kali, and she's got the heads, and she's got the swords and the weapons, and she's she's baring her fangs and her tongue. And at the bottom of the picture is Shiva. Shiva is laying prostrate on the ground, and she is dancing on top of his body. Mm. She is dancing on top of the body of Shiva. And so in this case, yeah. yeah that is powerful feminine like imagery there. Yeah. Powerful, powerful. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I'd actually like to open that that image up for for some opinion. What do you think that? I have heard a, I've heard that story. It was like uh, I don't know much about I don't know the details I can't remember though. <laughs> uh, it was like uh, Shiva went on a rampage, and he just wanted to destroy everything, and then all of the gods came together and they went to her like pleading like to do something, and that's when Kali uh, came out and she was like she just went to Shiva and kicked his ass. Yeah. <laughs> yeah so, she just uh, what you said was dancing on top of him. That's to that was to work out all the anger. That what do you was think? To subdue him. What uh, do you think the meaning? The meaning is behind that. I think it just. I don't know. I think it just tells you the ultimate reality. Like nothing is bigger. I think even because Shiva, in a way, you call him a destroyer. In a way, he also has that sense that you know I can destroy fucking everything. So I think it was just just a way of uh, showing that you know nothing is above anything. Is there a is there is there a reason why it's the feminine that comes along and reigns in the masculine? Yeah, that yeah. I I think that that we've talked about this a bit. Is like it's like the the masculine has that tendency to has that fire that that burns and burns and burns and burns and burns and burns and burns until it can finally consume everything. Yeah. Right. And then in this case, even though. Kali is represented represented in this very fearsome aspect. She is embodied compassion. Yeah. Actually, she's the earth. She yeah. is the earth. She's coming in and she's saying, "Hold up. Yeah. Hold up a minute. I'm going to stop you from destroying yourself." Mm. That's what that's what Kali is all about. And so, I think that I mean, this this episode in a sense can almost be lifted out of the context of our what we've been talking about, like what our knowledge of Shiva is and all this is almost like this separate thing where we're really talking about masculine feminine principles of of in this case, Shiva's just the he's just representative of the masculine going wild. You know? Yeah, it's just a rain image. And and so and, and that power is incredible, mm-hmm. right? But it but it it also can be its own destruction. It created the earth. And then, and then, and then she comes along and she's like, "You're not going to destroy it." Like it's, right. it's, it's that energy which, which is what manifested beauty. Girls has the capacity to destroy the beauty it created, and then it's the it's the feminine that comes along and and and, ha- and is the heart within the beauty that's been created. It's it's the earth that was created, and it's the it's the heart of that earth that says, "No, no, no, you don't get to destroy this." Right. Basically. Right. You don't. You 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 are great. But your greatness isn't wanted here, not now, not in this way. Right, right. What do you think? Anything to add? I can't do better. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think it's yeah, it's for the balance. 
the idea yeah. that I had with it and the idea that I have similarly for Adi Shakti as well, yeah. uh, the concept behind it, I think is, is just to show that, you know, as you said, the masculine side is just goes very and you need somebody to rein that in and I think that's the need for the balance. Mm, that's right. why even Adi Shakti came into the picture. You need to have a balance between the feminine and the masculine to you know, get wherever you want to go. Right. I think that is just absolutely necessary. And that's mm-hmm. what they wanted to show with that picture too, that it just go, it just started going on a rampage when it wasn't there. Because Parvati never had that bigger influence, if you kind of read about it, like if you know, about, like you never read about it, like she never had a big influence on Shiva's doing and stuff. So until then. Where, yeah, until then. Like until the Kali came into picture. So it was like the form that kind of said that, okay. You know, kind of come back a little, relax a little, yeah, chill. So it's like this idea that the it's like this idea that the mind, the masculine is always acting. It's always pushing into the world, changing, and it's the it's the feminine that comes in every now and then just to keep it in line. That's the feminine is embedded there, but waiting. I think that's part of it, but it's also it's also like we can't ignore the imagery of of like Kali in this fearsome form and with the you know she's she's got these the heads of demons and such so this is also like she she's the she's that force that rises like she's that feminine energy that rises when when the when masculine energy becomes overbearing and she brings balance to that she she stops in its tracks and says no further you know this is and, and then and what the point that you brought up was after that now it's no longer she because Shiva would basically like just run off like he would just run off and go like for self retreat up on Mount Kailash for like eight thousand years mm-hmm. and he'd like leave Parvati alone mm-hmm. you know he was just like dipping off to do his you know yeah. mystic thing yeah you know his his complete like I am you know the I am the one kind of thing and and leave her and so but but then when she manifested as Kali and he's going he's in this he's in this rage or something and she stops him after that then then it's a partnership yeah. it's no longer she's gonna just do whatever the fuck he wants it's it's a partnership between the masculine and the feminine and then also the symbolism of her with the swords and the heads and all these kind of things is definitely like she like that feminine like she is compassion manifested with force like compassion in in the highest sense but with incredible power and incredible strength at the same time so she is the that that she's like the com, the compassion like i can take i could say this like in a sense like psychologically like there if we knew the the level of game that the ego plays with us and how it does not play by rules. Mm. We knew how what how ruthless it was with us. If we were at all as ruthless as it, the game would be over like this. Yeah. So she is in essence, she's calling us to manifest compassion for ourselves in the form of being ruthless on the path, ruthless, brutal. At times, brutally compassionate. Brutally compassionate. Brutally, like brutally giving, brutally accepting. Brutally well, but I'm talking about like in terms of like there's there's those like when we're talking about like the the shadow side of the ego. It's like if we knew 
like the level of subterfuge that it goes to in order to control us and how and how really truly ruthless it is if we knew that if we really could see that it would be a different thing but we don't and what she's what she's calling us to do what that imagery is evoking within us is no this is a serious this is this is not like Lottie Dottie airy fairy you know happy trails time this is like this is the jihad this is like this is the battle within you know this, like so she's saying be like you need to have like don't you see you're being completely controlled you are you are being you're the puppet on the strings of the ego and I'm telling you you need to have such compassion for yourself that you that you go in there all guns blazing like that's the true compassion for yourself is like don't like that like that's what she's representing and it's like one step further because it's she is in the end even though we say this is just a masculine feminine she is also the 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 female of destruction so it, it when I, whenever i see these skulls and everything i also think that she's the bringer of life but she's also the bringer of death but it's compassionate death it's saying it's a new understanding of destruction of destruction can be a can be a positive force in life mm. she's there and she is ruin the, ruin is the road to transformation yeah and she and she's exactly and she is she is just as much the thing that that takes that that makes us like our hearts break when we lose someone we love that beautiful compassionate destruction like mm. it's, she's the same one that gives birth to to our our, our children she's a, she's exactly she's the same one that maintains the the rivers and the flow of nature. Yeah. And she's the same one that the sees, destructive power of nature and, too. And these species get wiped out by other species. She's the lion and she's the gazelle being in by the lion at the same yeah. time. Yeah. And so it's a destruct it's a new integration of of this of, 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 of a conceptualization of destruction. We don't see we don't see negativity as negative anymore. We see it as hand in hand and we see it as and we direct it to the correct purpose. But we see it all as as an emanation of of compassion and, and, and divinity in effect. Totally. And I think that, um, you know, like that, that's a wonderful aspect that I didn't, I didn't really consider, but it, it, it like the, that feminine principle of Parvati also radically, like if we take Shiva on his own, he's one thing. We like, we, we've talked quite a bit about, about that, but when you take him with Parvati, it's another thing. It's another thing. And that's because they're, they, they, unlike the other, like the, uh, as far as I know, Vishnu and uh, Lakshmi and Brahma and Saraswati don't, don't have children. Maybe they do. They do? Uh, no, they Ganesh. don't. Ganesh. Ganesh. So, no, so, no that's, that's what I'm getting, that's yeah. what I'm leading to right now, is that yeah. Shiva and Parvati, Shiva is the, he's the um, destroyer, right? Yeah. But in the context of the divine family, I guess, the union of Shiva and Shakti, they are the creation of life. They are the divine family within Hinduism. Mm. And so oftentimes you see Shiva actually worshipped as the Ling, which is which is a kind of the 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 cosmic it's like it's a it's a phallic symbol. It's a phallic symbol on a base which represents a the the symbol of, of the woman. It's like the the penis and the vagina kind of thing but it's also on a much more cosmic level than that it's that the yoni of parvati is like the the substrata of of everything 
and then from that rises the, the masculine. It's, and that's it's really that's, representative of the, the of the spreading of the feminine and the focus of the masculine. Exactly. The so that's that's the shibling and that's like the potency of that imagery is like like it's not so much the phallic it's as much as it is this rising energy of Shiva. Yeah. Like that's that's what he is. He's this rising energy. And then Parvati is the is the is the basis of everything. The balance. The balance of everything. So and then in the family structure, that's also like unique. It totally changes Shiva. So it's like Shiva goes from being not just the destroyer, but he's also the creator. Yeah. He's also he's both. He's both. And especially when you take it in context with Parvati, they are they are creation and destruction as a package. And so they um, they have their children. And this you is know? and this is really why Shiva is is worshipped so much across India. Right. This is really the reason because this is what we say when we mean that destruction is for creation. It's, and it really embodies this idea that that the destructive elements are we we worship those. We don't always look at this. We don't always look for the rosy side of things. We see the destruction as the beauty. And we and so I mean that's the way we relate to our our lives. We see destruction as beauty and destruction as creation. Mm, yeah. Um, as opportunity, it's, like it's, it's like it's like like what percentage of of Hindus worship Shiva, basically? Or I don't I don't I don't know what the percentage would be, but yeah, it's high. Would you say it's higher than than various incarnations of Vishnu? Yeah, I I think Shiva has probably the most following because Shiva is widely accepted even uh, not just India. It's not just India for Shiva. I think for a lot of other gods, it's just India, but Shiva is widely recognized in a mm. lot of uh, other the surrounding uh, countries, yeah, the surrounding Nepal countries. and Nepal, Bhutan is like all Bhutan. about Shiva. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I wanted to ask one question too. In Bhutan, they only uh, have linga. They don't have uh, yoni. Uh, oh really? Yeah, they only pray, and I found that really. I want to know more about it. So I thought you would know. Actually, I have a, I yeah. have a, I, I have the story about that, but it's, uh, we'll tell that after the, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. after because it's kind of a side, yeah, side story. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I want to dive into Ganesh then. I want to dive into Ganesh too because that's like boom, <laughs> like that's a, that's a really important. <laughs> Ganesh is like one of the one of the one of the most well known of Hindu gods. And for people that don't know, he's the one with the elephant head. Yeah, yeah. Um, elephant heads and between two to six arms or something right 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 (laughs) so so ganesh is like a very playful god and he's very um like he's he's loved he's very very he's like probably one of the most like ubiquitous gods in india you almost you probably almost even though most people are worshippers of shiva you almost see ganesh's image more because he's in people's cars all the taxi drivers have images of ganesh you go at basically every home it's a Hindu home. They have an image of Ganesh over the doorway. Every single one. I actually just bought a Ganesh statue and said, "Come." Nice. Currently waiting in Melbourne for me. So, <laughs> I'm gonna tell a. Um, well, who is Ganesh? Ganesh. Ganesh is the, the he's child. The, he's the child of Parvati and Shiva, but created by Parvati alone. In fact, so I'm gonna tell us a, a slight diversion. Of, of Ganesh's story um, than, the, than the traditional story and I okay. think it's actually really um, adds a lot of depth and meaning to it um, told by a guru here from India and it really made a lot of sense to me but first let's like establish Ganesh Ganesh is the, the lord of 
of obstacles, mm. the placer and remover of obstacles. Mm. So when you need something in your life, like an obstacle in which you need you need to overcome something, like it's time for you to sharpen your sword and go into battle. Like it's time to to rise to the challenge. He places something in your path, mm. and when things are becoming too much for you. He removes it. So he's actually like the embodiment of Shiva and Parvati mm. in one. He's both that which puts, puts stuff in your way so that you can overcome it. Mm. And he's also the one that takes things out of your way when, when things are too difficult. So it's a very interesting like, combination of those, of those two principles of his parents. Um, do you have anything to say about that before I... Go into the story. I, th- I think it's interesting on a generational level to see that that to see that what the, what you do every generation is you integrate the previous generation. Yes, totally. So if you, well, I am not the great 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 grandson of 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 like how many hundreds of people are up at that are up at that level. Like I had so many descendants. It's it's really them condensed down to the next generation to the next. And each time we integrate these parts of ourselves, we don't we don't keep these yin yangs of ourselves separate in this battle, we we really understand that they're integrated as one. Right. And so that's Hanuman and Rama. Exactly. And so it's like Hanuman and Rama are still two different characters. Right. But, but what we do with Ganesh is we is we say, yeah, they're two different characters, but they're really one. It's really that's the way to, the proper way to understand. Right. Understand. Um, it's a removal of dualism from ourselves. Right. We use dualism as a way to understand ourselves, but it also spawns a destruction of itself. Exactly, which is, which is their child. Yeah. Right. So, Ganesh is, uh, yeah, he's one of my favorite deities. Um, a personal, like, just to share a personal connection um, from my interest in India. Part of, you know, my, like, eventually what led me to come here and spend five months here um, is when I was like five years old. Um, I remember going to a store, like, it's one of those stores that you see in the mall that is like. Um, they call them things from afar, gifts, exotic gifts, yeah. or things like this. You know what I mean? They got a lot of stuff from Touches, Af- we call yeah, them. Africa and you know, and India, bombs. bits and bobs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and I remember seeing this this uh, Ganesh Murti, this Ganesh statue, and I don't know why. I just like wanted it. Like I really connected with that image for some reason as a five year old from America. You know, and uh, my mom bought it for me, and I actually I still have that. Wow. It's uh, it's like this little porcelain Ganesh, and it sits on my altar at home. And so, like that, my connection to India comes from wow, very, very early days. Ago. Yeah, 20 years, 20 years ago. So, it's uh, it was a long culmination to to finally come here. Um, but the seed was planted very early. Well, tell us the story. I'm so fascinated now. Okay, the story of of Ganesh that I'm going to tell. I'll, I'll give a brief uh, recap of the way it's traditionally told, and then I'll tell this this interpretation which I feel is a, is a much deeper understanding of the story. So the, the basic story is that uh, Shiva has gone off on his own and once again to go hang out in Mount Kailash. Hanging out there for like 5,000 years doing his yogi, Adi yogi thing. And Parvati's lonely. And so she's taking a bath one day and, and oftentimes you, like they would use like different types of oils and um, unguents and like you know, sandalwood and musk and, and different different kinds of precious uh, 
like wood and and um, herbs and things like this, oils and such, to scrub their body and make themselves clean and fresh and, and smelling beautiful. And so she she's doing that. She's and when and when you're doing that, because it's it's kind of abrasive. It also takes off, you know, it takes off dead skin, right? So so with that combination of the oils and the and the sandalwood and the the musk and the myrrh and all like that kind of stuff, you know. Yeah along with the um, affluence of skin, basically, the extra skin, she takes that off of her and she scrubs that off of her and she forms from it a baby. Okay. And then she breathes life into it because she's Parvati. She's the divine mother. She breathes life into this baby that she... Oh, she's also breathing shiver into it in a way, right? No, I wouldn't say so. So uh, how, how is so, he the child so, of Shiva? So that we're getting to that. Oh, okay, we're getting to that. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so this is, just, this is just, uh, yeah, just be patient. It's all good. Uh, but we're getting, like, I'm just doing the brief recap of how the story yeah, yeah, normally good, goes. Good so for it. She creates him from herself. And then she's, she basically says, you are my son. And I love you. And no one can come, come between me and you. Now, what I want you to do is when I go in to take baths, I want you to stand outside our door and you don't let anyone come in, no matter who they are. And so she's doing that one day. She's taking a bath. And uh, Ganesh is, is, is sitting outside. And at this point, he's just a, he, he just looks like a human. And he is just a normal kid. He's just a normal, normal kid. He normal kid. Any powers that we know of or any kind of... No, he's no. Just a, no. He's just a kid. Just a kid. Yeah, exactly. Um, and then Shiva suddenly comes back from Kailash. He must have gotten lonely and he's looking for a little loving. Yeah, you know, with his with his beautiful wife Parvati, and he comes to the door. Here's this child, and he's like, goes to go in, and Ganesh goes, no, 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 you cannot come in. Yeah. And she was like, who are you to tell me? I am, I am Shiva. Yeah. I am the Lord. Yeah. Like, stand aside. Yeah. And Ganesh goes, no, my mother is bathing. You cannot go in. Can't go in there. My mom's in there. My mom's in there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, no, no. My mom. She said to wait outside. She said, way outside, don't let anyone in. <laughs> and she goes, well, no, 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 no. She's my wife. Like, who are, who are you? I, and, and he's like, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm her son. And he goes, well, oh, well, then you must be my son as well. Like, I'm your father. Like, move out of the way. And, uh, and Ganesh is like, I don't know who you are. You're not my dad. Yeah. You know, it's like, you're just some, like, dude, that's just some dude that's wandered in. Yeah. Exactly. So. This goes on for a little bit, and Shiva basically loses his temper, yeah, and uh, basically cuts off his head. And Parvati comes out and says, "Oh my gosh, she killed my son." She's really, really upset with him, like super pissed at Shiva. And Shiva basically to like, like make her feel better, is like he tells his minions, the Ganas, which are like spirits. Um, he tells them, okay, like. My wife is super pissed at me because I just killed her, her child. Uh, just go out into the world and find the first, the first thing that you find. Find the first thing that has a head. Cut off its head, bring the head to me, and I'll make her happy. Yeah. So he sends out his minions, and the minions go, and the first thing that they encounter is an elephant. So they cut off the elephant's head, and they bring it back, and Shiva puts the elephant head onto Ganesh's lifeless body mm. and then he breathes life back uh, into him. yeah okay so now you have Ganesh and he's now a god and he's the child of Shiva and Parvati because they both imparted life to him 
Um, so that's that's the that's the that's the first um, that's the, the that's the, the traditional story. that's the origin story that's the traditional story. But there's a like the story is great story, but like this reinterpretation for me gave a lot more understanding mm. to the symbolism. Yeah, and that's really what we've been talking about. Yeah. You might not have heard this interpretation of this story, and I think it gives a lot more understanding, like why why the elephant head? That's always the big question: is why the elephant head? Why does Shiva cut off his head in the first place? Like all this stuff. So the story is same kind of thing. Um, yeah. Par, Kai, uh, he's Shiva's gone off to Mount Kailash. Parvati's lonely. She creates this child from her body. But he's not just a child. She breathes life into him, and he is actually, he's the son of, of the Divine Mother. And so he is imbued with incredible power. Mm. Incredible power. And he is basically, he's good at everything. Like he's a, a poet, a martial artist, a musician, a, a scholar, a you know, all of these things. He's incredible. Everything that he sets his mind to, he achieves. Mm. And this makes him, ooh, very prideful. Mm. Very arrogant. So He's so powerful. He's so good at everything. And so, again, he's standing outside the front door of Parvati's chamber. She's taking a bath. She's told him no one's allowed in. And she becomes from Kailash. He tries to get in, and Ganesh doesn't let him. And same kind of exchange, right? Mm. And at first, she was like, "Who is this? You know, who is this? Who is this young man to stop me? I am the Lord." So what the the big thing here actually is is that Shiva, Shiva is Shiva is God. Shiva walks up, and he's God. He is like anyone should be able to recognize as soon as you see Shiva. That is the Lord, yeah, right. But Ganesh is so so talented and arrogant because of his talents that when Shiva comes up, he doesn't see that Shiva is the Lord. He doesn't he doesn't recognize Shiva for who he is because of his arrogance. His arrogance keeps him from seeing the obvious that in front of him is God. Yeah. And Shiva sees that sees that Shiva understands. Oh, okay. So you don't see that. You don't see that I am God. At first, he's like, "I am the Lord. Who are you to stand in my way?" And Ganesh goes, "Lord, I, I'm like, I'm the shit. Yeah. Like, who are you? Yeah. You know, who are you standing in front of in front of my mother's chamber? Like, come at me, bro. Yeah. You know. And so she goes, "Okay, all right. I understand. I, I see." So he sends the Ganas, his spirit minions against Ganesh. And Ganesh is so powerful, he defeats them all. His his power and his as a warrior, he defeats all of the minions of Shiva. Wave after wave after wave after wave. And Shiva goes, Okay, alright. You're pretty powerful. Yeah, you're pretty powerful. But you still don't know who I am. And so what he does is he he cuts off his head. Like Ganesh is like, yeah man, I just defeated your army. Like you know, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? And Shiva goes, all right. Yeah. Cuts off his head. Off with your head. Off with your head. Actually, like, a lot of times, um, the way I envision that is, is like, from his third eye, 
he basically incinerates his head. And so the symbolism there is also important. From his third eye sends forth a burst of like flame and incinerates the head of Ganesh. Mm. And then Parvati comes out and she's very, very upset. Again, very, like so upset that she, that you killed my son. She goes, no, 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 it's okay. It's okay. All right, calm down. I got this. Yeah. I got this. And so he goes out and he finds an elephant finds an elephant. It's not that they just happen upon an elephant. He finds an elephant. And he takes off the head of the elephant and he brings it back and he places this upon the head of Ganesh and breathes life back into him. And then Ganesh is awakened and he has still all the same power as he did before, but he recognizes divinity. And so the importance of this symbolism it really explains why the elephant which is always a big question with Ganesh why the elephant so the elephant like it's known for its power it's known for for many many things but one thing that elephants are really really known for do you know it? memory memory exactly yeah I get five points <laughs> exactly five points to Gryffindor yes <laughs> so yeah, exactly. That's like really like the key to it. Like the reason why he gives him the elephant head and the reason for the whole thing in the first place was Ganesh was incredibly powerful and talented, but he didn't recognize divinity. And so Shiva, by cutting off his head, removes his ego, puts the elephant head on him, which remembers God. It is... It is so beautiful. And so Ganesh, after after this, is now he is fully enlightened, a, a deity. He is being he is the embodiment of his mother and his father together. Mm. And so to me, this whew, really so much there. There's so, so much. much. It's like man, it's like wow. You cut off the head. You take out ego. And he doesn't knowingly, like it switches the entire story around. Completely. It switches the entire story. So, then what, what do we say about the Ganesh within us? Like, what what do we say about the Ganesh within us? Well. From this story. From this particular story. Yeah. Well, that, the problem was not that, like, in this story, Ganesh is incredibly talented. He is, he is basically the ultimate renaissance man mm. that's what Ganesh in this story is before his encounter with Shiva he's the ultimate renaissance man good at everything he does so but that's not the problem that's not the problem the problem with him is not that he's so talented and powerful and great it's his arrogance that keeps him from recognizing the obvious that there's his father in front of him and his father is God incarnate Yeah, you know so it's it's he doesn't see, it's not that he just doesn't see God, it's he doesn't see where he's come from. Right. He doesn't understand, he doesn't see that this divinity, like he is subjugate to this divinity. He's an emanation of this divinity, right. really, in a way. And so it's like this part of us that, that has this arrogance in the world that we feel separate than we are, we feel like we are important or whatever, that we are, we are deserving of, of so much, but but understanding 
it's not it's not learning we don't learn things we get reminded things and i think this is what so many people experience when they go to speak to spiritual gurus is they have the feeling when you really find an amazing teacher that can guide you in anything psychological whatever what you what you recognize is that you never learn from them what you do is you remember things they tell you things that you already knew and that's why it hits you if you didn't already know it you wouldn't accept it but you feel you feel it and you feel it as truth in you they say something and you and you say that makes sense yes like we, right. You know, we, we should feel connected to others. We should, we shouldn't, we shouldn't have this like ne- these ne- negative um, relationships with ourselves and and all this kind of stuff. And we just remember it. And then so that and remember the key word remember it's remember like and that keys in with the idea of the elephant head of the symbolism there is like it's it's that like remind like the I think that again and like so again and again you know our truth like that the um deep state of truth that is within us will remind us like it's not just about like yeah gurus outward but the inner guru in the story is shiva right but the inner guru will remind us like when we're getting when we're getting you know really puffed up on ourselves really egoic especially like you know when we're basically like really high on ourselves like putting ourselves above each, uh, above other people, seeing ourselves as, as as more beautiful, more talented, you know, in all of these different regards, our our inner self will cut us down to size. It'll it'll bring us into situations in which that will occur, yeah. in which humility will be cultivated, and then it's it's not. You learn from that not that your talents are the thing that's the issue. No, like your ability to express beauty and grace and power in the world is is, is wonderful and that's that's really really important. But not to the extent that it overcomes the knowledge from where like where that stuff comes from. Why why we have that ability? That ability is a direct reflection of the creation and destruction of the world, you know, it's like, so if we forget and we think, oh, no, this, my capabilities, they come from me and me alone and have nothing to do with anything else. I am, it's, it's all me. Then that Adi Yogi, that inner guru will bring us into situations in life in which cut us down to size. And I think this is a, probably a great point to, to probably finish on, which is like really in the end of <clears throat> the answer is already there. They're already in you. You already know them. It's just about us, us accepting that. It's like right. so, it's so simple. It's like it's it's this moment where you just realize, oh, okay, I just got to stop. I've just got to stop holding it back. So I've got to start acting in the world. I've just got to stop holding back the positivity and the and the inner wisdom within me that I already feel. We know what's good for us. We know what's bad for us. We 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 can feel when we when we have negative emotions and. And, and we can we can understand very easily that it's all internal. Like the external world isn't the problem. It's not other people. It's not this stuff. It's not it's not situational. It's not it's, it's nothing like that. It's it's completely it's completely just these stories within us. And we have the capacity. One of the most powerful stories we have within us is a story that can balance all the other stories. And that's the story of the inner teacher. And um, and that's what we all need to basically. If, if if you want to achieve that inner balance, then, that, then there's no particular reason to or not. But if if you want to, then then that story is there, and just know that it's already there. You go out into the world, 
and you seek mythologies, you, you, under, you look into Hindu gods like this, just to remind us, remind us, ah, oh, this is who you are, and this, mm. these are your capabilities, this is what you can achieve if you, just, if you just align yourself correctly and just recognize that it's already there, you already are it. You just remember, ah, oh, that's right, I am, I already am son of God, I already am, I already am Ganesh, I, I, I'm, I'm already this, like, right. why, am I, why am I doing all this stuff which is, which is making me feel that I'm not? Mm. Why would I ever do anything that makes me feel like I am already, I'm not already completely connected with everything? Because it's impossible for, to be anything besides connected. Exactly. And that's, that's like, that is, that is spirituality to me completely, basically in a nutshell. Word. Word. So, coming to you live and direct, this was Zazen and the Schmetterling. Wow, what an insightful episode and inspiring way to end this series with Ryan on Hindu myths. And I really think that that note that we finished on is one of the main things we can learn from Hindu mythology, that this whole process is really just a process of remembrance, of remembering what we have within us already. Each of these gods, each of these stories are just analogies to our own experiences that we might be feeling within ourselves. And what Hindu mythology can really teach us is that these forces are within us to cultivate and use as we need. And so no one can really teach us what we don't already know. They can just remind us of the powers that are already in there and the inner wisdom that we already have in order to achieve balance in whatever way we want to do that. And so I think that's an important message to take away for anyone who's trying to suffer a little less or someone who's particularly on a spiritual journey or personal journey, that we might seek external teachers, external traditions, um, we, might, we might practice different meditations, do yoga, we might see psychologists change our lifestyles. But really in the end, all of that is just in order to trigger an internal awakening, to remind us that we already are perfected and we don't need to continue to live a life where we are slave to the darker sides of ourselves. The parts of us that want us to forget that we are already perfected, that everyone around us is perfect and every moment is perfect, that everything already is one God pure divine love, whatever you want to call it. And so I offer you to take that away with you, to remember that every positive change that has happened in your life, you have cultivated, has come from a place of doing what you knew all along was what you needed to do, if we were truly honest with ourselves. And so on that note, I'd like to thank Ryan for these incredible conversations we had in India all those months ago, up in the mountains, drinking teas, overlooking the beautiful forests, and the next episode in a couple of weeks will be starting a new series, a four-part series on the Jungian archetypes, the lover, the warrior, the magician, and the king, and how we can use those ideas to really understand the different ways in which that inner guru can teach us. Until then, love and light, and uh, I'll see you when I see you. Peace out.